you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, we're digging into the details of Nginx on Kubernetes. I'm joined by Robert Haynes, the Senior Manager of Technical Marketing, and Brian Elert, the Director of Product Management. They both work on the Nginx team at F5. Yes, that is the same F5 that's known for its big IP series of networking products over the last 25 years. Well, F5 bought Nginx in 2019 and have increased development and investment in the Nginx project. At KubeCon, I was at the Nginx booth and realized I had never had anyone from the Nginx team on the show, yet we mention it so often on my YouTube Live and in this podcast, and it's just about in all my courses, starting out with running simple web servers on Nginx, because Docker run Nginx is great and easy to use. There's a lot going on around Nginx, and I wanted to focus this conversation around Nginx on Kubernetes, and specifically the two ways you can run it for cluster ingress. We also get into some of the advanced scenarios of using Nginx, like caching and web application firewalls or WAF. Now, I know many of us are using Nginx somewhere in one of our clusters, and one of the topics I found interesting was how the team spends a lot of time showing customers how they can use Nginx in more ways to avoid deploying additional products in their clusters. And you can tell in this show that I'm a big fan of reducing complexity. <laughs> Due to all the great questions from our YouTube live audience, we weren't able to get to any demos, so this podcast didn't need much editing. The show notes have all the links to the resources on topics we're about to discuss, and I hope you enjoy this discussion with Brian and Robert of the Nginx team at F5. Hello, and welcome to my show. My name is Brett. All right, let's get into it. I've got my guests on the show here. We've got Tech Bob from Twitter. This is Robert Haynes, the Senior Manager of Technical Marketing at F5. We're going to talk about Nginx, but Nginx is now owned by F5. And then we've got Brian Elert, and he's the Director of Product Management at F5. So thank you both for being here. That's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Rob. All right, so let's get into it because this is a topic that we were talking about before the show that people think they know. But I actually wanted that we, you know, Bob and I were at KubeCon together and I, or I was going up to the booth and I was having this conversation around that we all do Nginx stuff. Everyone that's in that course is probably everyone has typed Docker run Nginx and at some point in their learning or in their career or both. And we think we know some of it, but we don't maybe know it all. We don't know all the ways we can use it on Kubernetes, all of its, all the usefulness to it. What's the current status of the project, stuff like that. So that's what we're going to get into today. So yeah, let's do it. First question up. I'm just going to rapid fire on these questions. Hey, First question is, what are the common use cases for Nginx on Kubernetes? Assuming people don't even maybe know all the things Nginx can do. Who wants to take that one? I can dive into that one. I'll say I'll save you on that one, Robert. So I'll add things when I can come up with something useful to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. 
So I, I've been talking about Nginx for a few years now, and I generally talk about Nginx's personalities because that's how most people use it, right? I use it as a web server, so it has a web server personality. I use it as a reverse proxy, so it has a reverse proxy personality. I use it as an API gateway, so it has an API gateway personality, and we can go on and on with different use cases. When you think about the Kubernetes space, well, we can technically run all those things in the Kubernetes space, right? Because you can have a service full of Nginx containers. You know, if you think about it all doing as a web server, running your application, you can have a service of proxies. We have customers that, that do that as well. So they might be redirecting their traffic as or something else that's sitting in there. We have customers that run the Nginx ingress controller. That's both the community ingress controller and the ingress controller project that we maintain as Nginx. We have customers that run Nginx either in the cluster or external to the cluster as API gateways. So as you think about API gateway tiers, which we can also do those things through ingress controller, we can also do those things through reverse proxy layer elsewhere. So I think it's one of those things where Nginx has kind of had this whole Swiss army knife to it over the years, and it's really what you're trying to do. So as you think about the web server capabilities of Nginx, well, that kind of plays into when you use it as a as an API gateway personality, for example, because you think about custom error pages and custom responses and things like that. Well, that's a little bit of that web server functionality breathing through, you know, bleeding through and kind of munching up with the reverse proxy personality. So it's, you kind of get to the complexity of what do you want to achieve and where do you want to achieve it? And that's just the Nginx project alone, right? And then there's like the new unit project, which Nginx is introducing, which kind of brings something different to the world. So that's a new application server open source project that the company's working on as well. That's a great summary. And what I expected was there's many use cases. It's not just an indirect ingress proxy. It, it predates Kubernetes. So it's got all sorts oh, yeah. of use. So what do you think in Kubernetes? Are there some common questions about using Nginx on Kubernetes? I know I have a few like What's the difference between the two types of ingress that you just mentioned? Is that a common question that you get? When I think that the most common question is certainly, you know, when we met at KubeCon, people will come up and say, hey, yeah, we use Nginx for ingress. And our first question, which is a really bad question, and we try to train ourselves over asking is, well, what sort do you use? Do you use the community supported like ingress that uses Nginx? Because we are the default, you know, if you read any documentation, it's like you, K Kubernetes ingress is based on Nginx. Do you use our ingress, which we maintain and manage? Do you use our ingress with different customer resource definitions? Do you use our CRDs? That's a, a question that comes up a lot. And actually, it's a bad question to ask because half the time people don't always know. They know they use us for ingress mm -hmm. and it works great and they're happy. Right. Fantastic, <laughs> it works. You know? It works. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. So we're never going to complain about being too ubiquitous. It's not, it's not exactly a terrible problem to have, but I think the most common question is like, well, we ask back is what are you, what sort of ingress are you using? But, and then people usually ask, well, what else can I do? I think that comes up a lot because a lot of the ingress we see is pretty basic. And yeah. sometimes there are problems that people are trying to solve downstream from that stack that could be easily solved at the ingress point. So I think educating, talking to people about okay, what's your problem? Does it make sense to solve it at this ingress layer? And is it easier to do that? Like I need to do redirects. I need to do something else. I need to, something that you have to engineer. And it can be hard to engineer those things downstream across a bunch of containers and relatively easy to engineer those solutions mm. at that ingress point. And so I think that's the question I most get asked is like, well, you know, what am I missing? 
Right. Is there something else right. we could be doing? Because everyone in this space is always looking for, you know, what am I doing? What's the next best thing I can do? Am I making my life harder? Is there an easier way to, I mean, the best sysadmins, the best platform admins are always looking for the, the, you know, the easy button. Am I doing something that's taking me time and effort that's conceptually hard that could be easy? Can you help me? That's a common, so there's a joke, right, in the Kubernetes community that has proxies all the way down, especially if you start talking about service mm -hmm. mesh, and yep. especially in the ops space, but I think across the dev and ops spectrum. We come from a world where, you know, years ago when it was F5s, you know, big IPs in the data center, I essentially had one proxy or a set of proxies that were highly available, and everything went through that. I didn't have five layers of proxying between my users and my apps and, or, you know, three different load balancers all behind each other. And so I... I am very interested in uh, designs and models and like, you know, getting into the, some of these architectures of let's not add more layers and more apps running simply to get an HTTP packet to its destination and back with all the features I want, like redirects and caching and, you know, all mutual authentication or whatever you might want to add into your application stack, I guess is what we might want to call it. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's this trend, right? That People are using basic functionality in Nginx, and it's almost like sh there needs to be this sort of megaphone approach of, you can do the other things too. <laughs> you mentioned API Gateway. Uh, let's mm -hmm. talk about that real quick, just a summary of how is that different from an ingress? Or are you referring to the Gateway API? Ooh. Oh, on the oh I'm going I'm to catch on that one, but you actually hear that a lot. So. Yes, that's a oh, great that's question. Tough. Let me throw that in the list. Go ahead and answer it now. Okay, so... There's a term in the industry called API gateways. It's, to me, it feels nebulous. I'm not really sure if I'm using an API gateway or not unless somebody tells me I am. And then there is the new Kubernetes gateway API, which is almost like a superset of the ingress, which we have had on this show from Google talking about the gateway API, which I think was one of the big themes of KubeCon this year was sort of the, you know, the progress at the gateway API. I think that session was stacked or packed rather. Everybody really interested in the sort of the future advancements in the ingress idea of Kubernetes and what that all means for us. So let's back up for a second. What is the difference between gateway API and API gateways? Somebody break that down for me and how it relates to Nginx. You, you brought that up, Brian. You can answer that one. You thanks, stepped on the thanks. minefield. You, you brought it up. <laughs> well, it was, it was kind of, it was an innocent question, right? We kind of stepped into that, right? So API gateway is, it's a classic thing. Some vendors refer to it like it's its own product, right? To us as Nginx, it's a set of use cases. It's rate limiting, it's JOT, JOT authorization, it's custom response codes, it's custom error messages. It's those types of things that you're doing to kind of protect and manage how your API is presented. It's you know a role that Nginx can fulfill. So we generally think of that, there's products that you know wrap a management experience around that as well. And then there is, as you mentioned it, the API gateway, which is an initiative that's going on in the Kubernetes community right now through the networking special interest group. And that's actually really interesting because that's actually a collection of vendors or all implementers that are working through the special interest group, which is what makes it really kind of interesting and collaborative is we're kind of working through the problem of, there were some problems with the ingress object originally, right? This is kind of this is where it originated. And is there a different way we can model these things? And it's interesting because it's all of us as vendors working through the exact same problems that everybody is experiencing, right? So we're coming up with a common API surface. You know, in ingress, you've got annotations, right? Annotations are bespoke 
through implementations and projects. And some of us introduce CRDs and whatnot to help solve some of those problems. And then this is everybody kind of kind of coming back together and saying, is there a better way we can do this? And Gateway API is not just about ingress. There's load balancer getting wrapped up in this. We've had some people come in talking about, you know, firewall related things as we start to talk about policy, you know, the big word of policy and what that might, might mean. So it's a huge kind of encompassing thing from that perspective. Yeah, I don't have an actual current episode. I think if people are interested in the Gateway API for Kubernetes, which is a specific resource type, I would not recommend this actually going back in the show because that was a year and a half ago. There's probably been a lot of progress in the special interest groups and stuff there and on the evolution of that. So there was definitely sessions at KubeCon. So for those of you interested in that, just after the show, go you know YouTube for KubeCon North America 2022 Gateway API. There'll probably be some really up-to-date stuff there that I probably need to watch too because I'm very interested in that as well. I think one of the most interesting things that from an ops perspective that I loved about that being built in was the ability for me to sort of have URL or path-based controls for my different dev teams. So I don't have one developer who wants to run something on slash blog, stepping on another developer who wants to run something on slash blog. And as I've had my consulting customers try to scale up their Nginx and their proxy and load balancing stuff all over these Kubernetes clusters. And, you know, they start with one cluster and they end up with a dozen and they're trying to put their head around, like, how do I centralize all this traffic? How do I centralize these endpoints? How do I control who's able to edit what? And it, it's not just one device anymore. It's right. It's not just one big IP that they're able to manage a config and, and one person loads the config and we all wait. And then suddenly it can do the thing. It's like this nebulous architecture of many things in many places. And I love this approach of multi-cluster support and all the, just the things that are coming out of a lot of these different traffic technologies for uh, ingress. I think the the thing that grabs me most about, and this is purely based on my own failings in the past, the thing that grabs me most about the, the gateway API is that ability to separate like policy and other objects into kind of separate units and then make them reusable. Because I, well, I think probably like loads of people, I first came into Kubernetes, when you start trying to learn it, it's big, you pull up some YAML file for the ingress controller. And if it's in, if they're doing anything even remotely kind of smart or complicated, there's a bunch of annotations in there and, you know, additional pieces that don't always make an enormous amount of sense when you first look at them. Every ingress kind of configuration is slightly different. If I think that I've applied some kind of policy to this, using some of these annotations to rate limit or to put in a WAF or to do some other kind of slightly smarter piece of management and I want to change that, I have to go back and find all the ingress manifest sets in and reapply them. And the thing that both the gateway API did and the Nginx CRDs, which are our sort of custom ingress resources have done is break that kind of dependency so that I can have the concept of, you know, here is my ingress, here's my virtual servers as we call them. And so the same in the gateway API, here are the routes that are associated with that. Here are the policies that are associated with those as well, so that I can have I can maintain a set of reusable policies. I can tell my developers or whoever, yeah, if you need a policy to rate limit or a policy to restrict access or a policy to apply some security to this, here is the policy, use one of these from the list. And then if at some later stage, I, I realize that my policy is suboptimal, if I've made it, it almost certainly is. And someone comes and goes, oh, you've done that wrong, or you could improve that by this, or I watch a webinar and realize that. I could do something smarter with a policy. I change the policy and that cascades onto the, all the places that policy is being used. And if someone comes to use it, they're reusing that policy and I can be in charge of policy 
and someone else can be consuming that policy and using it in their ingress or in their, you know, gateway API configuration. And that, I said before that we started that like the 2 a.m. in the morning, sleep deprived person trying to work out why it's broken. The ease of being able to understand how this hangs together compared to some sort of fairly large wall of text, which maybe if you're an application developer, maybe that's your life and you spend your whole time there. But if you're a platform op or a sysadmin sys type person, then I think it's just easier. I, I really like the sort of deconstruction of your ingress into kind of multiple conceptual objects. I'll stop ranting now. But my, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I like best about it. I was about to say, but both of you kind of touched on an interesting aspect here. Brett, you mentioned that you have kind of this segmentation. So a lot of interesting things have kind of happened and not happened around the ingress object itself, right? So yeah. we've, we run into customers that are like, well, we don't give anybody control over the in ingress object. That's only the platform admins, right? Because of the risk of yeah. fragility, right? Because you can impact a whole bunch of things by just getting access to the ingress space. You can screw up all the host routing where yeah. you start to break that apart into separate objects, and then you can granularly grant controls through Kubernetes role-based access control and all those fun things. And a little bit of kind of Nginx-specific history here that Robert touched on. So a predecessor of mine introduced the CRDs with the Ingress project that we maintain at about the same time that the working group for Gateway API started. So this problem was seen out there, and they introduced this notion of what Robert called a, a virtual server and we have a transport server for TCP UDP traffic. So virtual server for HTTP traffic, transport server for TCP UDP. And then we have a way to set, you know, host names and routing behavior and path behavior. We further broke that down into a path. So you could have the host name at one level and you could have one set of people that are responsible for that one. You could have now the path and any transforms that you need at a different level. You could have an associated, say, a retry policy or a rate limiting policy or something like that, that that you then just associate through a linkage. So that's actually very similar to the way that the Gateway API is modeling out today from a community perspective, right? So we offer all these things th through our project today. So you kind of mentioned early on, you know, differences between the projects. And this is actually one of those kind of interesting differentiating things between mm -hmm. the project that, that we maintain and the project that the community maintains. It's not that our project is only paid because it's not. We have a free version of our project as well, but it's that there's just differences with how they function under the hood. I mean, the initial Git commit for the two projects was literally two months, was literally a month apart. So they started from the very beginning as very separate things. Yeah, and what we're talking about here, just to make sure people are aware, because maybe some people aren't even aware that there's these two uh, two different options for Nginx as an ingress, is there is the official. Let me make sure I understand this right too, because I maybe I'm getting it wrong. But there is the uh, there is the Kubernetes projects maintained ingress example for Nginx, which I see a lot of people using because it's in the Kubernetes IO documentation. Yep. And then there is what I perceive to be a more advanced version. And let me know if that's true. That is maintained. It's a it's a CRD based ingress, right? Maintained by the Nginx team. Is that an accurate description? Am I saying this correctly? We support the ingress object as well, but we also unlock a lot of additional functionality through our CRDs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So two sorts isn't enough. We had a third of being of having our standard ingress and our CRDs. Just just in case anyone's thinks they understand. I mean, the, the whole point of Kubernetes is to add an extra layer of complexity every time you. Think you get it yeah 
the evolution I usually see when people are going through my courses or people that I'm helping adopt Kubernetes, I sort of see this typical evolution of they start with the built-in ingress. We're finally at V1 in the last couple of years, which is great. And then they start asking questions about how can I do this? How can I do this? And then they realize, well, you know, they're what I would call annotation hell, where their metadata is really mm -hmm. long and there's a lot of bespoke typing in there that's very, you know, it, does, it doesn't get error checked. It's, it, it leads to possibly having human errors in there. And then either they learn through me or the internet or something that there's this more advanced option of using the Nginx custom resource definition that doesn't use the built-in ingress resource, but does all the same things and more. I'm assuming that's what you recommend most people do. <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, you get to the point where you're, you look at your ingress manifest, uh, your YAML file for ingress, and it makes you want to cry because it's full of snippets and annotations and things you've quite rightly put in there to give you the, you know, the extra features and tools that you mm -hmm. want then it's absolutely the time to look at the Nginx CRD solution because it's just not every single thing is covered, but it can almost guarantee to, to simplify your life by using CRDs. If you've gone beyond, say, if you've started, there's a question actually about what do you suggest when you're facing lots of snippets and annotations in your ingress manifest? Well, my, my suggestion is take a look at the Nginx ingress resources CRDs because there's a really good chance that through that policy objects will be able to eliminate a lot of the, the annotations and snippets you have, right. which is just bad. We're trying to pick up more of the capabilities of what Nginx mm -hmm. can do. I mean, mm -hmm. we always get into cases where somebody wants to do something that's so unique to them mm -hmm. that a snippet's necessary, right? But what yeah. we're trying to do is we're trying to, is we're trying to pick up what 80% of the people want and make sure that we expose those directives so that they can be consumed very easily through your YAML configuration, right? So you can run it all through your pipeline. You can have your infrastructure as code model there and you can do all your checks. We also do some tests under the hood. So Nginx natively has a little bit of test where we can make sure that we can validate and verify a configuration before it's applied. Now I could go into just the differences on how the two projects function all together, right? Our project is a bit more kind of core Nginx we don't do anything with Lua. We do, however, if you want to take advantage of some things like that, go ahead and build it through NJS because you can inject that through NJS and help extend what you can do with Nginx that way as well. And while we're talking about the built-in ingress or these two projects, I guess. So for the official, for the Kubernetes project maintained one, that's like you get started there either on their GitHub or their the Kubernetes IO website. All the documentation kind of naturally lead you down that path. You know, I've been talking about this a little bit for years and I was like, oh, I only think I know what I'm talking about. Let me talk to the people who actually know what they're talking it, about. It uses the open source version of Nginx under the hood. It's got some things combined in there. They, it uses a bit of Lua and some other scripting under the hood to kind of extend what some of those built-in capabilities are as well. So it's, so the Nginx maintained one, as I normally call it, go to GitHub Nginx Inc. So GitHub slash nginx inc slash kubernetes dash ingress this is the project that we maintain you can run it for free and if you run it for free there's nginx open source under the hood if you pay for it whether you do that just because you want support for your business or whether you want the additional features that nginx plus brings to the table then you get access to the nginx plus version so but so that lights up idc and jot handling and of course, support and a few other things. Yeah. So this project does both. So I can sort of mm -hmm. 
it sounds like there's a, is there a path here, I guess, where install this. And then I realize later there's some advanced features. Where I just want paid support. And then yep. I flip a bit essentially, or I change an image name, I guess. And then now I'm running. It, it, it is, it is literally as easy as that. So, yep. so we have a command line flag that says that you're using the plush version and you just point to a new image and you re-roll your deployment and that's it. Because all of the annotations that we use, all the CRDs that we use is all the same. All right. Now we do function a little different. So we do take advantage of plus. So, so when plus is under the hood, the amount of reloading can be less, for example. Mm -hmm. So when we have backend updates and all those things, we do all that exclusively through the plus API on the backend. And there's some new capabilities we're looking at taking advantage of some additional features there as well, as well as all the additional plus metrics. So with open source, you kind of get this small subset of metrics. And with plus, we light up this whole world of well over a hundred metrics that you can start to pull out of your applications. And plus, you know, even just using Nginx under the hood, you can get access logs and a few other things like that you might get for free. So if you're thinking of auditing and things like that, you can light those through Nginx and customers, they, they can audit. They can archive those things, say if they have an incident, we know those incidents never happen. And they can kind of troll through those later and they can start to identify things. There's there's other add-ons as well. Yeah. yeah, and without wanting to like do the sales pitch, then if you have the plus version, you can then add things like web application firewall and application layer DDoS capability into your ingress controller. And again, that can be controlled by policy. So, but that is a plus plate for thing. So, okay. Um, so, so WAF is a feature of the ingress with Nginx plus. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have to go get another one, which is what not. I see a lot of people not realizing, like you're saying, this is a great example of you were talking about people didn't realize, or they talked to you and they didn't realize, but that people think they need some sort of external thing, or they need an additional thing. And that adds, that's a whole new project, right? Where it could be just a toggled feature in a product. I was on a team that was implementing Nginx years ago, and we went to Plus for the advanced monitoring and metrics. It's actually a really common use case for folks to, to light up Plus, to get just the extra granularity, all that extra detail that they can get out for details. I see the question there, header-based routing, path rewriting, body manipulation, requests and response, all that is, all that's unlocked through our project. And like I say, we do it in more of a native Nginx way. So if you end up on Stack Overflow, like something about that and find an Nginx specific solution, it's not hard to translate it to the model that we use. So the objects, Robert was talking about the CRDs. So our CRDs actually kind of parallel server blocks and location blocks and those things also very well under the hood. It just so happens that it's also easy to segment those through YAML objects. And we provide some additional conveniences, right? So. So say you want to light up a specific directive and then related to that directive, Nginx directive is some other settings that make that better for you. We'll go, we actually go through our controller and our templates and we'll set all those related defaults for you at the same time. So you might light up one capability, but we're taking care of a lot of assumed settings that kind of go along with that to really make it function better for you. What would Find you suggest when facing last resort snippets and annotations in your Nginx configs regarding disadvantages from a security perspective, according to official docs? So I think I've, I'm going to reword this question and say, what can I do about other people changing my configs? at the last minute with annotations that are possibly risky? I know exactly what the question's kind of peeling at. So even our project, we have a support statement around using snippets, right? Because right. it's direct manipulation around, and I don't say, 
around the nginx configuration itself because you're injecting nginx comp we recommend as nginx that anytime anybody needs to implement snippets for something get the eyes do the code review i realize as a former server admin and sysops person myself that didn't always happen doesn't happen as much as it does for code usually but it's one of those things and be mindful of what you're exposing so both the community project and our project are going through changes to help customers with that so because our project is all kind of native nginx conf we can always mm -hmm. validate that's always valid and proper and everything under the hood so we kind of remove the possibility that you can do something outside of the nginx process right mm -hmm. so we kind of contain can contain it a little bit more there but it is it's a real thing and like robert was mentioning the crds earlier we kind of light up more capabilities on our side that might remove the need to use snippets in the first place but no it is a real concern it's yeah. definitely a real concern and that's why it leads to your story earlier. I think it was Robert that said that, like, uh, you know, there's only one person that can touch the ingress config. It's the, you know, the cluster admin or whatever, which is not ideal, especially when we're selling a lot of times, like those of us implementing Kubernetes as kube admins, we're sort of claiming that one of the benefits is we free the developers to do their thing without needing our constant, you know, work to hold them up, right? But if that's the case, if I can't add a new web app to my cluster because the URL first has to be approved by the ingress czar, whatever that is, that's well, not yeah, really helping me. You're back to the days of tickets and architecture re review right. boards and that sort of process, which is what, although yeah. this isn't a direct attempt to get away from that, the process that's built around it is to get away from that. If I want to, and even if you try and implement that, say you are the kind of like the ingress czar in general, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you could have been the ingress czar and held up the project because you hadn't made the changes or mm. they hadn't submitted the right form on the ticket or checked the right box. But in, in most organizations who are trying to move fairly quickly, but safely, that's just not going to fly anymore anyway. Like getting the code to production is nearly always going to win over your, over your objection. So you have to work in that space. You have to, which is again, why I like, why I like the ability to create these kind of like policy objects and stuff like that can be consumed. I want yeah. to have those as standard things that my, my team can pull from. So yeah, maybe they are allowed to create their own ingress resource, but I want them to use good defaults. I want them to use the defaults that I've, and I want to give them choice. I want to be able to give them the choice of what defaults to use, but I want to give them a choice from my selection, which is again, why uh, trying, if you can possibly avoid using snippets and, and annotations, or even if you just have a supported set that you could write. And I guess you could, I'm going way out on a limb here and far over my skis, but I would have thought using something like an admission control and some OPA rules, you could probably ban some annotations or some snippets that you definitely didn't want. It would be much harder to uh, make an allow list, I think, but they'd, mm. you know, there are, some, there's definitely some tools I'd want to put in place if I give everyone free reign, but ideally I use like either the new gateway API with its kind of abstractions or ingress CRDs with their abstractions to give people enough tools that they don't need to resort to these, um, these extra kind of like these more complicated, harder to understand, because even if it worked perfectly and, but it is a change later on, the people that did that have gone and I'm coming in to try and work out what's going on. I'd much rather be able to examine a kind of a well-formed YAML policy than a big like ingress config with lots of snippets and annotations in them, because right. it's just going to be for me to work out which bit's not working, hopefully. And again, hopefully I've got great tracing and, and sort of and all the great, things. Great observability, but uh, hey, you know. 
Yeah. I also like Pony and a Porsche, you know. Right. Right. A rocket, to the, rocket to Mars. So the question I'm having here now as we're talking about this, because there's a lot of talk on this show. And in fact, I've got a new course I'm actually launching about automation, specifically mm-hmm. GitHub Actions automation on learning the automation side of DevOps and trying to use GitHub Actions as like a democratizing automation platform for everyone. And so I'm very passionate and I come from the DevOps realm. So in the operations realm. So this topic identifies a lot with me around is there a scanner? I was, this is actually my question. Like, is there something that can validate my Nginx configs, my Nginx annotations, and or my Kubernetes YAML for Nginx CRDs so that I can put that? Because my thought is, if I want to free up the developers, I need to put something in CI that at least tests or validates that that language before it ends up failing on the deployment to my production cluster, right? Or clobbering something on my production cluster. Is there anything like that now that helps with Nginx that you recommend? I think this kind of gets to something Robert was touching on, where well-formed YAML objects mm-hmm. is a heck of a lot easier to to lint and validate than, you know, even an- annotations and snippets are. So you get into a space and so while the controller processes that we run under the hood of our Nginx controller, we actually do a lot of upfront validation before we try to apply a configuration. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to admit, it's a lot easier for us to validate those well-formed objects, even under the hood, than it is snippets, because we can't take a rule and kind of apply that to a snippet. You can't take a regex and throw that against a snippet, right? Mm. And that's what a lot of this is about, right? It's a, it's about safety. It's about not just, am I going to apl- accidentally apply a configuration that might stop traffic flow, for example, but am I going to expose something I didn't intend to expose? Right. So that, that kind of comes along for the ride. Are you saying that's all in product. So in CI, maybe what I'm doing is I'm just deploying to a mock cluster real quick to see, is that like a server-side dry apply essentially? Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I don't automate my Nginx yet. So. We have a lot of customers that have non-prod or they have UAT environments that they can run that through and to make sure it's all good. Cause it's all the same configuration, right? As long as, you know, you spoof DNS names and all that kind of fun stuff, you don't even need to change those things. Because I'm going to touch a little bit on, on Nginx behavior, like host names. So as we take host names, if your host name doesn't match your Nginx configuration, Nginx just th- throws it away, right? I mean, that's just core basic Nginx behavior. That's something that customers ask us on. Well, I push this configuration, it has this host name in it, but I tried to hit the IP when I was trying to test it. And it's like, no, we're kind of going to throw that, we're kind of going to throw that request away on you. Because it doesn't match the host name. So mm-hmm. you get into these things that you need to think about kind of kind of downstream a little bit. Yeah. It feels like, though, to continue on this topic, as someone who's trying to automate all my things and create sort of a safe space for people to make YAML and YAML mistakes, because a, a lot of my customers, what it ends up is it falls on more of the developer's shoulders to make that YAML in the manifest or the customize or whatever they're making there, right? It used to be they were making Nginx configs, which... I don't know if there's a way to validate those before you deploy it to a cluster, but they, you know, it sounds like, it feels like we're, as we're doing things, especially the CRD, we're getting out of the config game, right? We're able to avoid Nginx config manipulation through the config file directly, and we're able to just do it in YAML. Is that a valid statement? That's, if you, the controller processes and the templates that Ingress controller introduces kind of abstract all that away for you, right? Which is what we're trying to do. Yes. We do have customers that are still trying to take a big blob of Nginx Conf 
and shove that through the YAML object. Every now and then I see a support okay. ticket that looks like that, right? So I know people are trying to do that in the real world, but so what that's we a, really that's not, want- So you're saying that's not a way to do it. <laughs> that's a <laughs> way to do it. It, it. it is a way to do it, but we wouldn't necessarily recommend it considering the safety conversation yeah. that, that we've been having, right? And that's because we bring a lot of things to the plate for you as a customer by running them through the YAML. Right. Yeah. So we actually want to light those things up. So as we think about policies, as we think about features that we need to add, as we think about directives that we need to expose and how to make those easy to understand and easy to consume and not require you to be an expert in Nginx configuration, right? right. In order to turn these on, it's all something that's kind of that's kind of wrapped up in there. And that's kind of the aim of the Gateway API project as well, is that, yep. you know, we've ended up in this situation where not just Nginx have, you know, we've provided annotations and snippets, but other, you know, other ingress controllers do exist apparently. So I've been told, I'm not sure it's true, but you can use something else. And lots of people have ended up in a really, really similar situation where they've tried to enhance the, enhance the capabilities of ingress. So they've got snippets and they've got annotations and they've got this other stuff. And so they you know, everyone has to become not just an expert in Kubernetes and ingress, but in, in an expert in the particular flavor of ingress they're using because they happen to dig around under the hood, under the core product of whatever the proxy is. And I think the beauty of Gateway API is that's going to take, I mean, it's never going to be perfect. It's going to take all of it away. But if we can get to the point where, you know, everyone implements the core stuff and has also implemented some of the extended capabilities, but they're all consistent. So if I want to, if I'm a Kubernetes sysadmin and I do some stuff in one organization and I go somewhere else, and they want to apply some of the advanced capabilities of Gateway API, that I do it in exactly the same way, even if the proxy under the hood isn't the same thing. So I think that's, and that will then make the capabilities of providing those kind of test suites in CI way easier because I want to make sure that the, that I, if I'm using, say, a Gateway API and there's a, there's an object definition for that, like a HTTP route or a, a stream, that's the same, that's the same definition. That's the same API, no matter what the proxy I'm using is. So then it'll be relatively easy and there's a good ROI on building those kind of test tools. Don't just rely on you doing a dry apply in a mock-up in a QA environment or whatever. So it'll be way easier for everyone to start using consistent tools in that space. Once we get to the point where to do all the clever stuff, you do it through the native gateway API interface. I, I th there's an interesting nuance to what you're just br bringing up there, Robert. There is an aspect to the gateway API that I, I don't know if folks that are not involved in the project are actually aware of. So while from the outside, this looks like a common CRD surface, right? So you as a customer are like, oh, I have this set of CRDs and I can use any vendor I want under the hood, right? I mean, that's a lot of people nat naturally jump there. But in order for us as a vendor to say we are conformant with the API, we actually all have to behave in the same way. So, so it's not just a common object model. It's actually a common behavior that we're mm -hmm. actually all implementing behind the scenes. Whether or not you realize that you as a customer are getting that value out of it or not, that's actually built into the API is there's this whole concept of conformance as we as implementers go through. So for us as our Nginx Kubernetes Gateway project, which is our implementation of the API, we're behaving just like somebody else's, just like Google's implementation of the Gateway API is, just like Microsoft's implementation of the Gateway API is. So you expect the exact same behavior. So 
you expect a 404 when, you know, consistently across to all of us mm -hmm. for the exact same misconfiguration, for example, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, there's some great questions. How to know if our Nginx controller is in a healthy state? Is there some special metrics needed to be supervised? From a personal perspective, I can talk about our project, but I can't tell you about the community project. From our project perspective, we'll tell you when we're in it and when we're in a healthy state or not. And by that, I mean, if we don't accidentally apply a misconfiguration, we don't have a tendency to end up in a state where, say, a single pod is receiving traffic, but for some reason it's not responsive. But the things you want to look at is you want to look at the traffic going through. So is it not just receiving requests, but are the requests actually going through? So you want to look at response. Yeah. To, to make sure that you're round tripping through there. I know we've talked to customers ab about this before and there's no like common thing. Some monitor their operational logs. So the logs that are going to standard out that you can capture at your node level, at your mm -hmm. cluster level, they have external tools that they use to monitor those and look for, a, you know, specific events and they tag off of those and they might kick a pod or kill a pod, for example, if they suspect that a pod's gone unresponsive. But there, there are ways to address that. I don't, I just don't have a good answer. Yeah, that, well, I'm sitting here thinking off the top of my head too. We're talking about Kubernetes. We're talking about Nginx, primarily the Nginx maintained custom ingress controller. And that's a great question because if you're on Kubernetes, like Kubernetes comes out of the box with some things you can look at, right? You can monitor the pod status. You can look at the events, the kube control events. You can look at that. And then, so there's some of that stuff in the Kubernetes that you can already look at. And your Kubernetes monitoring solution would let you know if the controller, for example, is restarting or whatever. And that's not really Nginx's job, right? That's the job of the cluster you're running on and the, whatever it's Prometheus or whatever you're using to monitor the cluster. There is a monitoring Nginx, not specific to Kubernetes, but there's some examples in there on their blog. And the other thing I was thinking is, we just want to point out, you have monitoring endpoints, right? There's things that you can monitor in Nginx from a custom monitoring perspective that I know I always used to use. And this, is, goes, this goes back almost a decade pre-doc where we were monitoring Nginx endpoints for all, like on Nginx itself from Datadog. We were using Datadog to monitor it. And it, like every other monitoring tool was able to capture those metrics from Nginx. They had their own plugin for Nginx because it's Nginx. Everyone's got a plugin for Nginx. <laughs> and so we were able to see really in-depth monitoring details around the response, the CPU usage of that particular app. So I would suggest whatever monitoring tool you're using today, look at that first and see if it's built into Kubernetes, it's, you know, if it's something like Prometheus or Datadog or whatever, all the other ones out there, New Relic, they probably already know and have special add-ons for Nginx. So you, I would recommend using those. We Yeah, we do have a side project that, that we maintain. We do maintain a Prometheus exporter. So if the version of the project you're using that run, that has Nginx under the hood doesn't have a Prometheus endpoint built in, we have a project that we maintain that'll give, that'll let you add that on. I don't know. I don't know how else to carefully phrase that. But yeah. So, so in other words, yeah. So you like Nginx itself predates Prometheus, right? So right. <laughs> a lot of times when I'm talking about Nginx, I'm like, well, you know, this is one of, you know, like Apache and some of the other foundations of the internet for the last 20 years. It's been around a while. So it operates, I don't know how many other places on the internet outside of Kubernetes. So it can't necessarily be only bespoke Kubernetes stuff. So what you're saying, I guess, is let me translate for you, make sure I understand. You're saying that there's metrics inside of Nginx, but they're not Prometheus metrics, which is a very specific format. And so you're saying there's a side project that will, I guess, translate or... It's an exporter project that we maintain yeah. for, for Nginx. We actually use it under the hood of our own ingress controller, but we maintain it as a separate project. 
because we do have folks out there that are running just nginx i mean they might mm-hmm. be running web servers they might be running something else they might yep. be running oss they might be running plus that want that in kubernetes and they want those metrics exposed through prometheus so they you know they might not be running an agent or they might be running you know a cluster level or node level collection agent that kind of looks at those things instead so yeah. I did have one question that is not on the list. When I'm using the CRD-based Nginx for my in, my cluster ingress, am I able to turn on caching as well? Because I, I always found that was a unique thing of Nginx is that I could just flip a bit essentially and cache static assets and stuff like that. I used to, I'm an old PHP plus Nginx guy way back in the Apache days, mod PHP and all that stuff. So the Back then, we would just flip a bit. It would allow us to cache static assets, and it would get us better performance. Is that something that CRDs do? I don't even know. I'm going to jump into this one. So caching at the cluster edge is something that has been coming up lately in conversations. It's relatively young. It's something we're looking at. It's something our, that our CRDs don't specifically light up today. You would need to light those capabilities up through snippets. But it's absolutely 100% something that we can do. It's just a little more complicated. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if that was something that was coming to like Gateway API or I've never had a customer yet. Gateway API is not doing that. It's most likely something that we would light up through our CRDs long before you would see it over in the yeah. Gateway API world. Yeah. Ideally, I mean, granted, I, I can see how we get into the nebulous area of like ingress isn't a web server. So what are you trying to do there? Because that's tech, you could argue that's not so much caching, but yeah. more on the web server side. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and, th- and this gets into the in- interesting thing, conversation that we get into with either you know through our project through through customers through customer conversations they know nginx can do something so they want to figure out how to do that and now we're talking about the fact that they if we're talking about our ingress controller it's because they want to bring that into the edge of the cluster so they might be flattening there there is a trend that that we see where customers are bringing say an outside topology layer in and it's about running on the compute platform that is Kubernetes. And then we kind of light up a really nice YAML interface for them, if you think of it from that perspective. But it's really about kind of some of these more complex use cases that aren't, you know, old layer seven HTTP use cases for, you know, that where ingress came from, but it might be TCP routing, it might be routing to external name, it might be acting as a little bit of a CDN to help take some pressure off some of their upstream services. So we get into a lot of these extended things that Nginx can already do, right? And then it's just, how do we light those up and expose those for customers to make it easy? Yeah. You go back to that kind of complexity solution, like tightrope problem. So caching is a great example. Can you use snippets to enable caching on your ingress control with Nginx? Yeah, you can. I mean, like Google it and someone will have written up a Medium article on it somewhere, I guarantee, because it's something that comes up a lot. I mean, like, we, we may have documentation on ourselves that feels more like something that somebody else would have tried and documented themselves. Now, the other choice is obviously to have ingress and then a layer of Nginx proxies downstream configured in the traditional way to do caching. And that was actually going to be my next question is like Nginx yeah. behind Nginx. And- yeah, yeah. I mean, so, and they both kind of work and there's not, I don't think. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. So there was a question about how do I do this? How would I build a, you know, a caching CDN type solution? So, well, you could do that at Ingress or you can do that with Ingress and with a layer of Nginx. And 
the only downside I can see, there's downsides of complexity on both sides. Because yeah. one is I've introduced another layer. I've got a whole new, another set of pods and services to worry about. And therefore I've put another layer in my infrastructure, which is, you know, traditionally we might think is bad because we're trying to flatten these things. But the other way is, oh, I'm introducing a lot of complexity and additional functionality, both in the actual data plane activities and in the configuration management of that at ingress. And I can see good things and bad things on both, but yep. I think that's a, there's all, everyone that's designing solutions is always thinking, well, less is more in terms of layers, but also less is more in terms of understandable configuration. You have to make your mind up there. So, I mean, I would be tempted if I was desperate to do caching, I would, given that I can do caching fairly easily, I would be tempted to do that on a separate layer and not at ingress, yeah. but I could be convinced the other way as well. I don't, I'm not sure there's a perfect yeah. answer for that. And I guess eventually if we have, if it, we get to the point where it's like, oh, we can use an easy policy object, either in gateway API or in our CRDs, then that, that speaks to me of putting it in ingress as opposed to separating out another layer. But you know, everyone's going to make their own decision on that in terms of CPU utilization, number of objects in my cluster. There's yeah. all sorts of, how many other ingress right? providers do you have? Is that an ingress provider yeah. just for that specific namespace and that? Yeah. Or is it the whole cluster and you got a thousand containers? Like, it, yeah, there is a lot of architectural decisions there. There's no perfect good. If I'm not close to kind of object count numbers of hard to manage, then maybe I do it separately. If I want it simply there and also down to kind of expertise as well. Like who, who have I got? What people do I have that can do this? I will point out this, that there are a lot of Nginx resources out there. There's loads of webinars going back. So there's plenty of, of that information around. And of course, if there's things you specifically want to, my Twitter handles around, tell us and we can either come back on, on Brett's wonderful yep. podcast and do a specific like demo of a set piece of functionality, or maybe we can run a, we can run a, a webinar separately for that as well. Yeah. The question I like with the CRD approach, can we activate some security features like cores, attacks, site scripting included in the Nginx product? Yes, absolutely. So if you, you have to be using the plus version, you have to be using the pay for version. You can turn on pretty much all of the features of the Nginx App Protect WAP solution, which gives you both all the classic signature stuff you might expect on the inbound, can give you scanning of the outbound, um, the outbound traffic as well. So, you know, my classic point is usually, well, it matters what traffic being sent to your web server, and you should definitely scan for that, but it really matters what, what traffic your web server is sending back, because that's the indication that if it's sending back like a big page of 16 digit credit card numbers, that's probably a bad sign. So the solutions that look at the response from the server are as important as the ones that look at the inbound. So you can activate all of those capabilities. They can be defined as a range of different policy objects, which you can apply via our CRD. So you can have stricter policies, looser policies, specific policies for applications. If you want to go there, they're all available and you just apply the policy object that you've created to the virtual server. I'm going to add to that a little bit because I'm going to mention cores, cores specifically. There, there is no easy button for lighting up cores. There's a whole website in <laughs> enable cores that has a whole thing, the whole thing for Nginx. There's a bunch of knobs if you want to do cores securely. So we are working on a cores specific policy so that we can bring those kind of settings to the front for you and make it easier for you. But yeah, there, and, I'm, and I just want to say, there is no easy button for cores. There's not like an on, there is on and off. Yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and search cores for Nginx on Stack Overflow. You're going to find, you're going to find a hundred different answers. I, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it is. We're going to wrap it up. I think this is 
like a great, we got into so many more topics than I expected. And I'm really excited about this episode because it just, it was like I suspected, like right when I was talking to Robert, I was like, I got a feeling there's other stuff that we're not talking about enough around Nginx. If everybody knows it, if everybody's done the Docker run and the, you know, everyone's enabled it on Ingress. I, I do that in my courses. The first Ingress you, you enable in Kubernetes is Nginx. And we talk about CRDs later. We replace the built-in one with extra CRDs. Uh, and that's just like, to me, that's sort of uh, like table stakes Kubernetes knowledge nowadays. Whereas, you know, maybe five years ago, it was more bespoke and custom solutions and everybody was doing something different. But I'm so glad we have this as a resource now because the, I, it gives people that idea that maybe I should be looking at doing more things at the front rather than trying to just throw more container, more pods to do more web stuff when I can really maybe just do it at least a lot more of it, either with the same ingress provider or possibly just the same product running behind it, which, you know, I think that's a thing. Like, we, like I said, proxies all the way down, web servers all the way down. It is a thing, right? It is a thing, right? It gets to one of those things. When we think about our ingress product and we think about our service mesh product, it kind of gets to the point of you want to achieve things. And then it's just whether it's more efficient for you to achieve those things at the edge or more efficient for mm -hmm. you to achieve those things at the sidecar. So it, and that's really what it comes down to. You mentioned topologies. We have all kinds of people doing all kinds of strange application topologies. I'm, I don't judge anymore because it's like, okay, you fi you figured out how to do it that way. That's great. Maybe, right. maybe we can ma maybe we can make that easier for you. Right, right. I love it, and that just goes to the, the flexibility of the solution as a whole and the various ways that it can run. Well, thank you so much. We got Robert and Brian here from Nginx team at F5. If you want to get started, well, how do they get started? We don't have like a getting started link. I guess maybe the Kubernetes uh, Ingress project, go get started there. That's a jumping off point. If you have questions, I'm throwing Robert and Brian under the bus. They're on Twitter. Their Twitter handles are here. We got Tech Bob and Brian Eh. So you can go bug them on Twitter. You have my permission. Please include me in the tweet so I can bug them when they don't answer. I'm not just kidding. I'm sure they're going to be very helpful. You can also join us on the DevOps Discord server, the DevOps.fan. We have conversations all day long about proxies and Ingress and just traffic in a in a Kubernetes cluster in general. Yeah, all the things packet related for HTTP and maybe other protocols that we have to use sometimes. Yeah. Thank you so much, you two. It's been great. We're definitely going to have another Nginx podcast in the future because there's a lot more to talk about, I'm sure. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.